Hey, Daniel, how's it going? Uh, it's good, Evan. Recording on a Friday. I feel like we've been doing a lot of Friday recordings. Uh, any fun weekend plans for you ahead? Let's see. Uh, that's a good question. Oh, I, I we have a wine club event tonight. And tomorrow I have to pack. Uh, we're off Sunday to Florida and then Tuesday to Boston and home on Friday. So and cramming in regular work hours in between. So <laughs> we'll see how it all goes. How about you? What's going on this weekend? I'm wife's out of town. So I get to hang out with the pets. So that will be uh, fun as usual, I guess. They're they're pretty exciting. But we can go ahead and get started. Oh, wait, uh, we got... I need to know, are you going to walk the dog or walk the bunnies or walk all three? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the bunnies, uh, I would love to take them on a walk. We have a harness. Uh, unfortunately, it hasn't uh, proved successful. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's some community bunnies and they'll they'll hang out with us uh, for your bunny uh there was there was a hope one day when we had a <laughs> when they were a baby that we could get them to uh go on a harness but that uh that that hope died gotcha. i love our guests are jumping right in well let's jump <laughs> into it uh this is this season smackdown uh last season season one gretchen went up against um mark and uh this season we uh get to have another smackdown take place uh it is billing versus ri finding the money so it'll be an interesting episode i'm pretty sure we'll see how many people gang up on one of our guests <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm an unbiased moderator today. Um, I know last time Mark was IT and I'm I'm more IT, but uh, I don't have, I don't think I have a, a foot in this race. But let's go ahead and introduce our guest today. I get to introduce our first guest is managing partner and one of the founders of the Wilshire Group. Uh, Going to be representing revenue integrity today and maybe a little bit different spin on introductions. I know that they're very into knitting and good food. Um, so thanks, Gretchen, for joining us here. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Daniel. My favorite things. <laughs> uh, well, I get to introduce the in the billing corner uh, <laughs> today, <laughs> Hank, who's also a co-founder and managing partner of Wilshire. Uh, he uh, has a new dog uh, and likes to travel <laughs> to go see his kids. So uh, that's always fun, too. Um and he's inter- he loves to internationally travel and eat the food that Gretchen picks out for everybody to eat. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, so um, I will add some like bells or something in here for the different rounds. Uh, I'll add some extra fun commentary going in. Um, I get to play in both corners today, so I'm a little excited. Uh, I don't know if I'll have a job after today, Daniel. So it might be <laughs> this might be our one and done. We'll find out. So been a good run. Yeah. It's a bit of a good run. Anything goes on the podcast, right? <laughs> uh, within reason. Keep editing it easy for me, please. <laughs> All right. So um in today's corners, uh, let's jump right in. There's this long debate out there that Gretchen has been telling me over the last at least uh, almost 12 years now of our of our partnership and everything that Hank and her have a difference in what is revenue integrity. So I'm just going to throw that out. Gretchen, what in your mind is revenue integrity? And then we'll let Hank just interrupt. So. <laughs> You know, I, I really don't like to, to toot my own horn, as we say in the South, but I am kind of known as an industry expert in the revenue integrity space. And I say that only to support my 
my perspective on revenue integrity um, and, and my experience in this corner, which is basically that it is the, as everyone is sort of really comfortable defining it now as the middle revenue cycle, you got the front end, the middle and the back, the front and the back end. Now we kind of really established there is a middle. And from a technical perspective, I call it codification of services into a claim. So everything you've done at the bedside, you've actually now have to represent that in some sort of ultimately numeric fun, uh, uh, format into a claim. And we've got now segments and ANSI and, you know, all of that good 837 stuff to even further uh, lock it in into some sort of formula. And I think that revenue integrity is in that, in that middle space, the successful translation of that information with all the bells and whistles. So everything I do in that middle space makes it super, super easy for Hank's area. That's how I would say it. <laughs> yeah, if we don't do the pre-work, he doesn't get the good outcomes, right? Right, right. And basically, it needs to slip through beautifully. I don't want it to hiccup in a work queue <clears throat> unless required, exception-based only. And if, if Rev Integrity does it right in the middle, it goes really smooth on the back end. And that's pretty much how you diagnose where the problem is within an organization or with a client is if it's if it's exploding and blowing up on the back end, you know, you haven't done your work in the middle. But I always think of, of Rev Integrity as a discipline. It's a department. It's a it's a it's it's a, an area with with unique professionals, the NARI group is there and has defined what we know are these uh, individuals with certain credentials and experience. Uh, we have a department, we have objectives, we have daily operations, charge masters, work queues, all of the above regulation, translation, all of that good stuff. Um, and so we are a um, we are a discipline to some degree, but we are also an entity within that middle revenue cycle. And that's probably where I'm going to imagine that Hank has a bit of a different definition. <laughs> Actually, I, well, so, so a little background for everybody. Gretchen and I have been working together for a very, very long time. Um, before really revenue integrity was even a term that anybody used. So this is, you know, back in the early days where there was kind of this CDM team that kind of sat out there that kind of had some interesting responsibilities. So, so, so it goes way back and exactly kind of, as revenue integrity is kind of involved in the way it is today. Um, so this part of the SmackDown may not be all that much fun because I everything Gretchen said, I would actually agree with. Where we've had some interesting conversations is a little bit in my mind of, of revenue integrity um, being that, that kind of operational expertise and support for everything Gretchen uh, just described but also potentially being a little bit of that umbrella that sits over the revenue cycle to really, you know, help look for those opportunities for workflow improvements, optimization, everything um, more granularly. And that's where it gets maybe a little tricky where some of the resources reside and some of that responsibility falls because we all have to work together. So uh, such an integrated fashion, especially the large healthcare systems today, um, you know, where you've got to have these kind of disciplines broken out and you've got to have that expertise, I think, to really kind of deliver the results that are expected today. Um, and, and I think where it gets a little tricky, too, is that there's definitely some gray between kind of billing collections and revenue takers, exactly who has responsibility to do what. You know, certain claim, claim edits, there can be a little finger pointing back and forth who really ought to be working on these. 
Um, you know, so that's where I think kind of the rubber hits the road where you can get some, some disagreement, but, but overall, I mean, if you've got, if you have a well-functioning revenue integrity team, uh, just like you do patient access, HIM, uh, yeah, we get to reap on the back end, all the benefits from that and claim that the cash collections, the reduction days they are, uh, you know, get all the kudos for that. And at the same time, if we start to see some of those metrics slip, we have the lovely ability to point fingers upstream and say, oh, that was patient access. Oh, revenue integrity didn't get that uh, those updates in in time. Um, so we get kind of a little bit of that that ability to kind of have some of that fun jabs back and forth as well. But yeah, I think that over the years, the one thing Gretchen and I um, kind of bang heads a little bit about sometimes is a little bit of that overall kind of umbrella definition of, of revenue integrity, which, which I think that's just a great spot to have some of that visualization across the revenue cycle team and kind of be part of that. But without a doubt, I mean, the core nuts and bolts in a large healthcare system that cover all that expertise in all those areas Gretchen mentioned. Um, yeah, it's so important today. Couldn't, that part couldn't, couldn't disagree at all. I'm, I'm glad this is being recorded. Um, uh, <laughs> for the record, let the record reflect. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I think the the confusion around a lot of it is also industry-wide. There was um, a, uh, oh my God, what was the name of that organization? That um, was an industry group that would look at different issues in hospitals. Or I can't remember the name of the group, but, but we, they were meeting and trying to help define what revenue integrity was. And they, they queried a bunch of, of their clients uh, across the, the, the country. And everybody was saying, you know, if you've seen one revenue integrity department, you've seen one revenue integrity department and that no two are completely alike. The only thing that sort of everybody agrees on that is that somehow the charge master management lives within this area. It can it can expand, sort of include sort of sub parts of coding. Uh, it can include CDI. It can include all sorts of components. Um, but in, it, uh, there was one person that was quoted. It was sort of like eating cotton candy. It's like it's suddenly it's there, but then it's disappeared, and you're not really sure exactly what it is. And I think that that's okay. I think that makes it um, very customizable, which is what a lot of organizations need. Uh, but as long as there are some core functions, and that's why. You know, in my work with Wilshire, I developed the eight pillars of revenue integrity, which tend to be areas that are from, you know, from charge master to charge review work queues to to uh, compliance and, you know, government audit type of reviews and programs and so forth. And but not all organizations have all eight pillars, but it's a way to at least classify the functions because the functions should be occurring somewhere, even if they're not within the revenue integrity department directly. Um, but it does require a lot of, I mean, I think one of the key aspects of rev integrity and the kind of professional that goes into it is sometimes I call it air, air traffic controllers. You know, you've got people, you know, taking revenue from one end to the other and you're, you're talking to clinicians and you're talking to service line uh, administrators. And then you're also talking to patient financial service billers. You're talking to industry experts within Medicare. Um, and, and you have to be very good at communication, I think, is, is a key piece and forming those relationships all over the organization. And that's kind of a key thing because the conversations that you need to have with the clinical partners often is, is complicated. It comes down to those codes, the CPTs and the, and the Hicks fix and what are you doing and what kind of medication is that? And here's the NBC. And sometimes what happened in the past, and I think the reason that some of this evolved the way it has, is you'd have 
various people looking at very claim specific issues, talking to the front end. And, and that was not fixing anything systematically. And so Rev Integrity kind of comes in and starts to have conversations that look at an issue holistically on the back end, let's say something's blowing up in claims and charge review and all this kind of stuff. And then they back it up and say, really, the, the, the bigger issue is that we've got no NDCs on claims, right? Now, it's not just, I don't have this one drug and I can't find it and blah, blah, blah. It's like, what's happening? And so then you've got to have the IT component, key part of the communication. And then you start to bring all of that together. Um, and, and that's quite frankly, a, 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 the most complicated part is integrating clinical uh, partners with the, with the service line leadership, plus the IT component, and then the rev integrity. And, and if they're not all there hearing the same thing at the same time, you're not usually having some sort of true resolution that's going to fix it go forward. And I think as, as Gretchen commented on, you've got, you know, these eight pillars of Gretchen is put together that kind of clearly define the thing. All the, ideally the kind of functions and sort of activities that, that would fall under IE, or excuse me, RI. But then you've got, you know, resources, the size of organization are all going to drive a little bit, maybe how that's divvied up and structured. So that's where it gets a little bit soft, a little bit uh, malleable as to kind of who does what. You know, smaller organizations, a lot of the poor, you know, director over uh, PFS or billing and collections owns maybe most of this. Uh, larger organizations is where you start to see that separation and able to have probably a little more expertise. You know, the, the key point is, you know, how do you kind of try to make sure all these things get done, even if you're a small organization or a very large organization under that kind of, again, my idea that RI umbrella, just to make really make sure these functions are occurring, you know, somewhere, depending on how you divvy some of this stuff up, maybe between, because some organizations, HIM may own a little bit more of it. Um, you know, then again, that traditional revenue integrity stuff, generally, I think Gretchen, everybody else would agree. That's definitely seems to be the charge master is a big chunk of it. Uh, but Gretchen, you know, pushes very hard for charge capture as well really to be that group that deals with the clinical areas and that integration between uh, the clinical side and the financial side to kind of make sure that marries up correctly. And then the back end that, again, kind of reaps the benefit, but can also be that feedback channel if some things appear to be broken, are we getting denials or rejections or edits to make sure that that feedback uh, moves back kind of upstream to the middle cycle to help kind of address some of those areas? I, I think it, one of the, the things that, that is a good example of the difference between rev integrity and sort of PFS, if you will, in those areas, is 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 an implementation or or let's say through affiliation or acquisition, and we've had experience directly with this with a client. Oh hey, I'm gonna interrupt. Oh sorry, that's in the next segment. Oh sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but what I want to know is who actually finds the money? Is it really revenue integrity or is it billing? Like what when something's not going awry? Who's finding that cash? It's always rev integrity. <laughs> always rev integrity. But is no. it, or is it that we're the fixers? Like, I think that's the component of the question, right? Like sometimes it's the denial and then all of a sudden, and it's not necessarily the charge master, but we got to go educate the clinicians. We got to go educate and do all of these components. And that's, I think, where naturally right. PFS is like, nope, it's your problem. I'm just handing it off now. <laughs> Hopefully you're right. Hopefully you set it up in an anticipatory way that you are, uh, you know, this is this is a new regulation coming down the pike. And, you know, those are always so much fun. Um, and it's really important that you stay well connected to your professional societies like NARI 
or your just informal groups that you have um, with, with, you know, Medicare leadership or regulation leadership that you can call to and say, okay, am I reading this correctly? Is this how you read this? Um, but the, the setting up of things in anticipation of, and then also knowing how your organization, and that's either one hospital or 20, you translate that into your organization, right? So you may do things differently at one, one, one client may do something differently than another in, in the way they charge for something. So that regulation may get implemented differently based on that. So it, it, I think people assume that, you know, we have to get this certain modifier to a claim now as of January 1st, right? Let's say that. Well, if I'm hard-coded, that means one thing. If I'm soft-coded, that means another. And my solution might be in the charge master in an alternate field, or it might be in the router, or it might be in claims. And that rev integrity professional has to be able to understand that organization that they're with, and then be able to take that and say, okay, here's where I recommend we do this. Um, and, and so hopefully you're catching some of that as upfront as you can. But then of course, there are things that always pop up on the end. I think line item denials is probably the number one thing why you stay so connected with your PFS team because suddenly payer XYZ is now going to start denying this particular item. And then you have a choice. Do I, do I, you know, go back and fight them for it or do I just take that and I bundle it into other services for the next year? Um, that's a very simple kind of example, but that is an area, uh, but additionally, it's not only just the setup and stuff. And the reason we always talk about finding the money is the discipline piece of it is where people are looking for the lost revenue. You're, you're, you're building checks within the system. Obviously, your Rev Guardian checks, Daniel's favorite, our, our uh, Wilshire guru of Revenue Guardian checks. Um, but so, so you've got those pieces, you've got your tools, you've got your epic tools, your guns to go in there. Okay, I'm going to get it over here. I'm going to get it over here. But then you should also be in the weeds, right? looking at things, you know, looking at revenue and usage and your, your associated cost centers still blows me away how many clients don't have associated cost center populated into their system. There's so many benefits of just doing that one simple thing. And, and that's an easy thing to put in. Um, if you're a bigger organization, I will take away the word simple, but it's still project oriented and not that big a deal. Um, but the utilizing all those tools is, is, is super important. And then also going in actively looking for potential missed revenue opportunities. So that's why I always think RI delivers, delivers the money as well as looking at your write-offs and Hank, you would know more about that. But if you've got a stuff, like one of the things that we always look at is what are you writing off? And is there a component of what you're writing off that really is an RI issue we need to go fix? Well, we're going to say, Evan, just to address your question that without a doubt, it's the billing shop that finds the missing revenue. <laughs> the having to communicate it to RI to get it fixed, then they throw it on their worksheet and take credit for it every fiscal year. Now to be fair, um, you know, the Wilshire Group has, you know, certainly done a lot of these optimization projects in RI uh, and bringing a, an experienced team in can certainly go in and find lots of opportunities um, in an organization because it's just hard to keep track of everything. Um, but that, you know, if you've got a well-functioning billing and collections team, especially now that most large facilities have the hospital side and, and the professional side together, under, uh, you know, common management, they've got denial management committees that are looking for this. That certainly includes RI. 
you know, that, that feedback process has to happen all the time. The, 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 especially commercial payers, they, they change their policies, billing guidelines all the time to make things a little more cha- challenging, look for ways to save themselves money. Um, so, you know, constantly having that feedback is great. And then as Gretchen said, you've got all the complexity, especially inside an Epic shop between what happens on the clinical modules, what happens in that middle revenue cycle. Then there's also claim logic. So, you know, you got to be able to kind of flow this all the way through and everything may be built correctly. The charge master, everything's working smoothly. And then we've got claim logic that now it's gotten old. It's doing a flip, either an update to a revenue code. Who knows what might be going on? We're doing a point off write off on something that, we used to need to get off a claim and all of a sudden it's payable and should be on a claim. Yeah. Um, you know, that constant feedback has to happen all the way through the cycle. And, and certainly when the teams work well together, I mean, that's when you can kind of really get, get some of those benefits. But again, just so I'm clear, but without a doubt, <laughs> building shop that finds the money, hands it off to RI and then RI takes all the credit for it. I was about to say, and I'm glad I didn't, that I agreed with Hank up until that final, <laughs> until that final comment. So I'm not going to say it. Uh, but I think what he's trying to say is also maintenance. Maintenance, you know, you you can build anything. Epic can do anything. But always, I'm like, okay, if that's going to be our approach. I'm always thinking, how are we going to maintain that, right? So if X, if, if these three people leave the organization, who's going to remember that that's the reason we did it, or we did a point off write off, and we need to go pull that back in, or we, you know, et cetera. And that's why. You know, there are different mantras that people have depending on the level of the maturity of the program, but you want to keep stuff out of the router is if you possibly can. Obviously, it's very good to put stuff in there that's complicated and too hard to do anywhere else. But, you know, claim edits, uh, your rev integrity team, when it comes down to things that may be very specifically related to revenue codes or CPT codes, need to know what's going on over there and be reviewing that as a part of normal, you know, annual sort of operations to make sure that that's still correct and relevant. Um, and, and, you know, we used to call it when we implemented Epic a million years ago at Cedars, it was, it was the hammer. Everywhere else had these nice, elegant levers. I could just pull this alternate lever here and put this over here as this pair, set it up here with this modifier. And then if I couldn't get it the way I needed it, you had this hammer that you just like bash it in on the claim side. You're like, just change that number from one to two if that's the last thing I could possibly do. Um, but it is definitely revenue integrity which brings in the money, which is why it developed as a, um, as a, as an area of operations in my opinion, obviously. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Claim Capital is a team of ex Epic staff focused on preventing denials. Instead of showing what was denied, which is the standard for other solutions available today, Claim Capital pinpoints why claims are denied. By training machine learning models on an organization's claim and remittance data, Claim Capital can identify the causes of denials and recommend changes in EHR build or workflows to prevent them from happening in the future. With a completely HIPAA-compliant infrastructure, no software implementations, and a zero-risk pricing structure, organizations can quickly and safely recover lost revenue. And we're back. All right. Are we moving into debate here? Are we wanting to, we wanting to kick things off here? Yeah, we're jumping into that debate. So I think here, you know, let's continue. I Gretchen was starting to allude before I cut her off in the last segment of uh, some stories. So um, we'd love to 
hear some stories from both of you on, you know, finding the money during your Epic implementations or our partnerships that we've had with clients. And, you know, uh, what are some of those lessons learned that, you know, maybe our listeners that aren't clients or are our potential future clients, I'll do a shameless sales plug, <laughs> uh, 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 might want to consider when they're, when they're dealing with like lack of revenue or trying to find it. Well, I'm going to start with the story that we lived through, <clears throat> an experience that we lived through that I think we see continue to play itself out over and over and over in the industry still to this day. And it has to do with like the trends around um, acquisitions, affiliations, whatever legal umbrella it comes under, uh, you know, systems are getting together. And we lived through some of that in our operational roles. And I think it was a great example of a key fundamental difference between Rev Integrity and PFS is the back end. Affiliation was occurring between a large hospital and a much, much smaller community hospital. And from a billing perspective, you know, Hank was like, it's nothing. I won't eat. Our teams will not even notice that there is a new facility in the billing process. It's so small. And my hair caught on fire because we were translating a new hospital into the way that the, the core hospital did things. And they were very different. So you'd like to think that everybody has some similarities. And I'm going to put lab and, and imaging and radiology so to be on the side. We kind of all agree that's a CPT click for click for the most part. Um, lab, you often have to repeat them, et cetera. But you still have that sort of thing. I'm talking about the squishy metal ORs over here, but then we've got all the procedural areas. And I'm charging by like, I'm talking endo, cath lab, IR, pain, whatever it is. And that's kind of where all heck breaks loose in, into, into the red integrity world. And only in that you may differ. So what a lot of hospitals did early on, because you get a little history, is you know, ask, you know, do you have a consolidated EAP or a system of 14 hospitals? Do you have a consolidated EAP? And they were like, yes. My question meant, do you charge the same way for everything across the organizations? They heard, is it all in one EAP? Yeah, it's all in one EAP, but I took everything that everybody did and I just put it into one charge master. That's not really what I call a consolidated charge master. I mean, do you do things the same way across the system? It's vitally important. And I've said that from the beginning, the only reason now that it's become super popular, I believe, is that clinicals see the benefits on their side as well. If I charge for cath lab by procedure, meaning let's say CPT code, every CPT code has a charge line in my charge master versus basically a time or a level charge, that means Cupid gets to be built and maintained the same way across all 14 hospitals. Versus this one does time per minute. This one does time for 15 minutes. This one has three levels and this one is hard coded. That's four different ways of doing it and four different ways that Cupid has to be maintained. And when I was, you know, always on my soapbox going, we're going to be the same. We're going to be the same. And suddenly clinicals was very supportive. I'm like, what, what happened? And they realized the benefit on their side as well. It's really important, <clears throat> but that translation can be very difficult and very time consuming. And it is beyond it's beyond some regular IT, I'm going to say like for HB or PB, there it's beyond, um, it, it really requires someone saying, this is the way I think it should be. That's the, I had different variations of what, what an RI professional is. One was an air traffic controller with all those charges flying all over the place. And the other is an architect. I'm going to build it the way I think it should be done the best. And so I'm going to say, all right, 
new hospital, you're going to do sort of things the way that this core does. This is what we do. Um, this is how we charge for things. That translation of getting them from A to B, I've seen it done really well, and I've seen it done really poorly. Poorly, revenue fall. Revenue goes crazy. If you just pull them onto that, you've done it. But have you done the math to make that translation work? Um, but this is where the work of revenue integrity is really hard. And so what's simple for a claims volume on the back end is is simple because it's just a, it's a volume thing. It's not, it's not even a blip on the screen, but the piece where you take somebody that's charging for bedside procedure, procedures in the ED with three different levels to a line item thing or same thing with cath lab, it takes a ton of time. It takes a ton of time and a ton of work. And it only is works well if I sort of prove Hank's posi position on it, which it is easy for them. If, if Rev Integrity doesn't do what it does in the middle space and prep and get that all translated into one system core approach, all, then it is going to fall apart on the back end. Either billing's going to explode, which typically happens, or revenue goes up or down. And of course, you never hear from the people and the clinical leadership that where the revenue goes up. You always hear from them where it goes down. Meanwhile, somebody's over here with a windfall going, you know, this is fantastic year for us. Um, but... But yeah, I think that's an example of if we don't do that piece in the middle and you just sort of take somebody on and you throw it all in, you're going to have a lot of problems on the back end. Yeah, yeah Gretchen brings up a lot of great points that we've had, uh, I guess, the fortunate experience of working with a lot of our clients that have grown over the last 15 plus years, obviously added on new hospitals, new physician groups, uh, bringing them into their epic instance and so we we've seen the impact of some of this and yeah i mean a, a, a small acquisition we talk about the you know the billing collections teams on both the hospital and professional side you know if you've got a well-running revenue cycle um there's only kind of a small piece of those claims that probably need any sort of you know human intervention so if you're anywhere in that 65 to 75 percent of the claims kind of go clean process clean and then come back and nobody really has to touch on that, you know, the minimal impact to uh, the resource requirements, you know, but within revenue integrity, you know, you've got a, a ideally you really plan for the amount of resource and time that's needed during that implementation, right? All the identification, changes in practices that Gretchen talked about, especially around charge capture with these new clinical systems, how they're charging today, if that needs to be changed, going through all those steps to um, change those charging practices, what the charges need to be. So you kind of maintain that revenue neutrality that most people want to get. Um, there's, there, there's a ton of work to that. And there's probably, you know, more maintenance on the back end as well, just to add one more facility that revenue integrity needs. And especially in smaller shops, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of those resources just kind of sit in the, the billing office. And so when you look at bringing the teams together, those tend to be, you know, billing office to billing office, right? So all those resources are allocated to the back end when really some of those resources need to be reallocated into revenue integrity if you're bringing them into a larger structure within the revenue cycle. So it's really kind of that, that planning of that, making sure RI is involved in the implementation planning, that that those resources are identified they're going to be needed, that extra training that's going to uh, need to be done is occurring. Because um, a, a lot of these processes now too involve even on the back end with either DMVs or claim edits, some intervention with some of the clinical teams that they probably never did before. They weren't running Epic or in some of the uh, previous applications they were on. So that team gets a little bit of shock of, wait a minute, we're, we don't, we're not billing. I get it, but I'm going to need you to you know, 
look at these certain counts and meet these certain criteria and tell me what it needs. Um, and so that kind of involvement takes a little, little time to get over as well. But again, if, if you do it well, you'll have a much more successful go live. Um, if you don't, then there's going to be lots of opportunity for optimization uh, once, once you're up and running. What? I remember um, back in the day when I used to do like the Epic side of the implementation, we used to look at headcount for the billing office, like based on how many hospitals you have. I don't remember a conversation about how many revenue integrity staff you should have. Um, so Hank, you bring up a good point as you're, as you're bringing on new hospitals, uh, keeping in mind how many staff you might need from an RI perspective, just to handle that extra work. Um, I do have another question for you all. I know we've been talking about like the, the additional hospitals coming on. I want to pivot a little bit. Think about like low hanging fruit, just for like all of our listeners out there. If there's like a low hanging fruit that either of you want to like feed to them, just like give them a little nugget and let them know like, hey, why you should work with us. Like this is a good opportunity. But is there anything that comes to mind where you're like, this is something that folks struggle with or like is missed or something that you just are passionate about uh, picking up maybe some some pennies here and there? Well, I definitely have a lot of thoughts about that. And, and I'm trying to think, you know, what we've been putting together is ways to sort of find that in a systemic way, a systematic way, I should say. And it's difficult because of the variation out there. You know, if it was all up to me, I, I have exactly what I would design as my perfect world for Epic charging, charge master, charge capture. And for the ones that, have, you know, sort of set it up this way, you're pretty locked in to capturing everything you need. But that's not the real world. And there are there is still a lot of variation out there. And, and that variation makes it more complicated, not impossible, but it just makes you look for different types of things. A few, to answer your question, a few areas that are always, uh, it may not be the fire, but it's the smoke. Depending on how much soft-coded uh, procedures you have in an organization in general, you probably have a certain level, a certain percentage of lost revenue due to the lack of complete code capture. And this is difficult because usually Rev Integrity talks about charge capture, right? I'm talking about code capture. So your charges are complete on a surgical outpatient claim. You've got all the times been recorded. It's the right level. I've got the number of minutes. I've got my anesthesia. I've got my PACU time. Charge-wise, I'm beautiful. I missed the physician coded. Uh, there's four different CPT codes that were performed in that surgical episode. Hospital only captured two. Who knows? Nobody knows. That goes up clean as a whistle. No problem. And usually the payers are not going to call you and tell you that you forgot to, to, to put on two different CPT codes. And if you are a if you are if your reimbursement is based on a fee schedule, which a lot of things are certainly Medicare. Um, you're missing revenue. The absence of a code equals the, the absence of reimbursement. That's one of the areas that we always look out. So you kind of, we come into an organization and I, I, they say, oh, our cath lab and endo and all this good stuff is soft coded. I'm like, okay, that's the first area we're going to look for. Um, and then there are some areas, there are some things that we've learned over time, blood factors, um, uh, just, just, you know, looking at our gold standard that Evan has been, uh, honing in our own charge master, Wilster charge master database. We, we have, uh, air, we are able to sort of like compare an organization's charge master to our gold standard and say, you're hard coded in this area, but you're missing these 15 CPT codes. And, and why is that? Do you do them? Well, if you do them, you're not 
set up to, to charge for them. We just found this with an organization. I think the other area, which is a mystery, is radiation oncology. And there's so much revenue there and it's complicated. It's often a charge interface. It's not even inside of Epic. You've got, a, you've got an interface, which is hard to maintain. You've got com complexity around the billing regulations as well. You've got PV different than HB. Um, it's probably about as complex as you can get. But those are some of the areas that we like, all right, let's just go for it. Let's look at it. Let's figure this out. Um, that's where we find some some dollars. So I guess that leads me to ask the question, you know, I, I always find this as a debate when I'm going in and talking with peers or even like talking with cl clients and whatnot is, uh, does billing own the knowledge? Are they supposed to be the knowledge experts of the commercial payer requirements from a that perspective or is it revenue integrity right Be in that regards like that that's a good foundational question because we always look for revenue integrity 99% of the time for all regulatory required payers be or, or governed payers through CMS or a Medicaid or Medi-Cal like platform because it's that compliance portion that regulatory compliance portion that everybody goes to revenue integrity for but when it comes to the commercial world who really owns it oh or what does that look like yeah. i'm gonna make hank go first this yeah. time Gretchen. Oh. <laughs> that's a great great question oh real quick just because i uh back on the other question um i think as gretchen's harped on this a lot and i want to make sure this point gets across so you know charges really matter so i think you know revenue integrity is a great partner to make sure that we're charging for everything we should be charging for. And as Gretchen commented on, that we're grabbing all the codes we should be grabbing. And then where I think that a little bit of that responsibility starts to change, which gets into your question a little bit here, Evan, is then within kind of the billing shop, we'll work together to help manage the presentation of that claim, right? So if there are some codes that don't work for certain payers, we can do flips. If there's MUE or cap edits and we've got to you know, set limits on the claims, we can do all that when the claim is presented, but it's so helpful to make sure that all the drugs, supplies, and services we provide are captured and the appropriate charges are on, on there, captured to the right account, and that all the codes happen as well. And then, you know, working together, trying to figure out how do we do that presentation. So that gets to a little bit to your question, Evan. So I think most people without a, a doubt would agree if you, a large healthcare system has an IR department, they wear a little bit more of that compliance hat which most of us say would would really fall into uh, you know kind of that Medicare Medicaid you know rules and regulations right make sure we stay on top of those we're following everything we should do we should do respond to auto request all that fun stuff that comes in um, I think most of the expectation around the commercial payer starts to fall more to the back end right we need we're expected I think in most cases some health systems might be more on the managed care department to make sure that we've got the contracts built correctly, that we're establishing expected reimbursement right, making sure we're, again, presenting those claims correctly, staying on top of the billing manuals and updates they issue all the time that come out during the year. Um, so I think I think generally that switches a little bit more to the, the billing shop to make sure we're on point with that. And then obviously working with RI to figure out if they've got a specific requirement, how do we do that? As Gretchen mentioned, uh, you know, some commercial payers have interesting decisions about what should be billed and what should be bundled. Um, you know, so working with RI when we, we think the juice isn't quite worth the squeeze and we decide to fight it, you know, figuring out how to um, bundle some of those charges in so we stop getting those denials and, and some of those efforts that happen. Uh, but I think generally speaking, that's probably a little bit how it shakes out. But again, at, at any given organization, that could certainly change a little bit depending where that expertise and those resources sit. 
It, it's a really, really, really great question. And as you might anticipate, I disagree a little bit with what um, Hank just said. I'm just kidding. I agree with what he said. But I will say that. It's recorded, it, Hank. It's recorded. It, it, <laughs> I did say a take it back. Um, if you are a fully mature rock and roll and rev integrity department, you have, you know how you're paid by your top commercial payers. And you think about it every time you set up a charge. It is, it is not a second thought. You don't come, don't dial a friend in billing. You have a regular review of contracts. If you are setting up a charge and you have a, a, um, a fee schedule reimbursement from a top payer, I'm talking about, people have now between seven to 10, it's more towards seven now as they consolidated, top payers, top commercial payers. That if you set up that charge, oftentimes what people say, oh, well, there's a fee schedule. I just know that I have to be above it. You have the lesser of language, et cetera. So I know the charge has to be here. What a lot of people don't realize it's a multiplier on top of that fee schedule that is negotiated by a per uh, system or per hospital uh, contract. And if you're not setting the price at whatever that, at, at least at the floor of whatever that multiplier is, you're losing revenue. So you've got to know that for charge master management. It has to be looked at and you would lock in a system that every time a new lab charge comes in, every time a new radiology request comes in, you better be looking at those fee schedules and the multipliers to ensure that you're above a certain price. Because sometimes a lot of people will look and make a recommendation for a price that's below that fee schedule. There have been a lot of opportunities we've found with clients where that's a, that's a common place. I've also had revenue integrity uh uh, reimbursement experts find contract build flaws in Epic. So the contract is built out, XR is being value, and it's incorrect. And that was based on this person's knowledge of the contracts. So if you really want to be really locked in and in that zone, you have somebody in your department in Rev Integrity that is looking at all of that, especially depending on the size of your organization, you know, et cetera. But that communication to the back end is definitely a key part of it. And I think that there's also sort of all sorts of little things that come out. You know, I mean, this, this particular small player wants 510 versus 761 for whatever reason. Okay, fine. We'll just do it over there. No need to back it up into the system, so to speak. Um, but the, the other thing is annually, you have a conversation with the, with your colleagues in PFS and say, what are they doing with the LIDs this year? What do you want me to bundle? You can't bundle everything they ask for because they'll say something like trauma activation. Like, well, we can't, we can't bundle tra trauma activation, even if, the, even if the payers are trying to fight you on it, it's still not something that you're going to bundle. Right. Um, but yeah, the, the better the collaboration, the better that is. I do think that it's the back end that is responsible for that AR at the end of the day. So that's where that lies. But if you don't have that knowledge, especially, I mean, the reason that you have the government information, the, the, all the re regulatory pieces of that is because nobody wants to get in trouble with Medicare, right? So you're making sure you're not doing that. But if you want to make sure you're getting all of your real revenue, which is what's coming from your commercial payers, you have to know how you get paid. And you have to combine that into the normal operations of your rev integrity team. That's a very good question. And it's a very, it's a complicated one because not every, it's a big, it's a big missing piece. I, I think with a lot of clients is that back and forth communication. Um, yeah. I think the other thing that's definitely missing in the, in the mix here is, you know, when your managed care contracting teams are reaching out to get feedback and guidance, a lot of times they, 
default to the back end and they have government affairs default to revenue integrity and really holistically we should be approaching things as a united front of revenue cycle and being able to say hey send it to all of us we're gonna revenue integrity is gonna push back and say hey no, 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 this is what CMS says. We want payers to go by CMS's regulations, not these inflated ones, because it's easier for operational execution and being able to benchmark and monitor. And Billing's going to say, hey, I don't want to do this because it's going to add to denials and lacks information to adjudicate. And how do we get the claim to look that way? And we're limited, right? So it's usually, yes, we're all on the same page of pushing back. But we're not telling a holistic picture if they're only going to one section of the group and not getting that bundled. So I think I think when we look at the the fight in the smackdown, it's about how do we get past it and how do we make it as one like a smaller shop used to be and but still have those areas of expertise that are carving out and and taking the ownership and the lift for it. I just have to say that's so true. And what I see, unfortunately, with a lot of our clients right now is people are tired and they're tired of the fight. And I just want to know, like, no, forge forward. You've got to go to standardization. You've got to get there. Uh, You're going to have one hospital that's new that doesn't want to do it this way. And the politics higher above are sort of duking it out. It's like, just keep moving forward. It, it, it is to everyone's benefit in the end, um, as well as and we've talked about it before the, with everybody, you know, rev integrity, I always feel like it's on the, is on the offensive and we're looking out for the dollars and, um, the other areas are sort of on the defense cost, cost containment is the defense. And, but now rev integrity has to be on the defense because everybody is so strapped for, for, for dollars right now and costs are just skyrocketing. So implement whatever charging triggering functionality that you have yet to, to implement do it, take, make it a project, put it in. You will, we've seen organizations, you know, for, for whatever reasons, maybe ASAP was half-baked when it first came out with regard to charge capture, but it's, it's fully fantastic right now. We work with organizations that have saved over half a million dollars annually in, in vendor contracts, outsourcing the charging and capture and coding of ED accounts, for example, on the hospital side and the professional side. It can do both. It's not easy to implement, but it is not hard either. It's just in the middle. And, and, and Epic has gotten so much better over time. There's a lot of workflow issues that come into play, as you know, with, with, with uh, ASAP in, in that area. But um, those are also, if you're, if you're going to look at it from the defensive and cost containment side, that's where, that's where RI also has a role to play in helping implement those pieces that have yet, the functionality that's yet to be, to be used. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Are you ready to unlock the full potential of your medical coding team? Look no further than Adeo Technologies, the leading provider of medical coding productivity solutions. With Adeo's Gemini Solution Suite, medical coders are empowered and complemented with cutting edge tools and technologies. The Gemini Coder platform, Gemini AutoCode, and Gemini Coding Assist solutions work seamlessly together, creating efficiency and improving accuracy in medical coding. Say goodbye to tedious manual processes, cheat sheets, and memorization, and embrace the power of workflow improvements, artificial intelligence, and predictive coding. At Adeo, we believe in the collaboration between medical coders and artificial intelligence to create coding capacity that makes human coders more valuable to their healthcare organizations. 
visit our website at www.adeo-tech.com. It's adeo-tech.com to learn why we love coders and how Adeo Technologies is transforming medical coding productivity one claim at a time. And we're back. All right, Daniel. So uh, you're up on a question now. <laughs> it's my very first be, question. <laughs> you got to be silent for a while. So, you know, I, I know we're doing some cool things here at Wilshire and you are definitely helping with those. So can you help, can you lead us off before we all start to chime in about, you know, what can, what can Wilshire do to help organization improve um, finding additional revenue? Yeah. So one of the things I think it was mentioned earlier on the podcast, I'm doing some revenue guardian work uh, in Epic or just like looking at um, how can we enhance revenue protection in the system? I know Epic has like a foundation list. That's a good starter set. Um, Maybe out of the box, not appropriate for everyone. We've looked at some of our clients as well, just to see like, what are some things that folks are doing really well and what are they maybe not doing well? Um, and we can we can learn from that there as well. And I, I think we also have internal learnings here amongst our group. We have a lot of experts in the space that um, know areas where we can maybe protect for revenue leakage. And so there's a cool tool in Epic, uh, Revenue Guardian. I'm sure a lot of you have heard of it or use it um, to some varying degree of um, overhaul. Might be a lot. You might use it a little bit. Uh, so we're looking at opportunities to get plugged in with clients to. Uh, bring our best practices and our best knowledge to the forefront uh, for revenue guardians to get that in place, um, hopefully protect revenue. And knowing that, you know, not, not one size fits all. I think that's why Epic's foundation list is maybe a little bit slimmed down. Like you can't implement this everywhere. And a lot of clients that I've worked with as well, just like they take foundation as a default, like foundation is like a word that's thrown around out there. It's like, I should take it. It's the, it's the best. We're going to start there. No questions asked. And this is an area where you're charged your charge capture practices or your charging methodologies methodologies are going to be so different than your neighbor across across state lines or even in your own city. Um, so we're taking a look at that. We're trying to get together a list and uh, just modify it and make it personal for for our clients. So that's something I'm working on. I'm excited about it, um, and hopefully it leads to some good opportunities. And if you know if you're working on Revenue Guardians or you don't work on Revenue Guardians and you want to <laughs> and you want to talk about it. <laughs> I'd be happy to jump on a call because that'd be fun. So Hank, what else is going on in our uh, world of helping our clients with new ideas of, you know, that preventing that revenue leakage? And then we'll let Gretchen shine. (laughs) Sounds good. Yeah, I think there's, yeah, it's an interesting opportunity or or time, I think, in kind of healthcare revenue cycle. Uh, Gretchen shared a little bit, and we've seen this at uh, several of our clients, you know, some of the belt tightening that's going on. So it's a little bit of a challenging economic environment right now. So everybody's struggling with how to, you know, do what they do today or do more with, in some cases, you know, the same or less resources. So, you know, at, at the Wilshire Group, you know, our first opportunity is always to look at Epic, what modules and tools you've already got up and utilizing everything that you're already paying for. But there's lots of interesting opportunities out there as well with um, some other more kind of technology uh, vendors that are out there really starting to work in the revenue cycle space. So we've partnered folks that are doing some very interesting thing with data analytics and machine learning to try to look through large amounts of information and kind of find those opportunities quicker than faster than the old hunt and peck way of, you know, maybe looking at a hundred accounts and doing an audit and trying to see if you can figure out what's going on. Gretchen has been working on some interesting opportunities to try to get 
data out of Epic. So not really claim data, but kind of Epic build infrastructure data to kind of look for some of those opportunities, especially in the revenue integrity space, uh, where maybe we've got some opportunity to correct some of the bill or make some revenue uh, guardian checks um, to kind of build that out a little more quickly. Again, without having to somebody manually sit down and look at every single table and every single um, opportunity and all the different parameters that Epic allows you to do. And then we've got on the automation front, I think there's going to be some interesting opportunities, I think, in the RI space around automation, whether you want to call it AI, RPA, you know, whatever name you want to put on it. Um, but I think I think most of that benefit is going to accrue to the back end initially. So in our hospital and professional billing shops, you know, how do we take some of those routine tasks that are occurring today and automate that? And that's going to drive um, not only improve net revenue because we're going to get to more, we're going to be more consistent and maybe how we're touching these accounts, but also improve the efficiency of the staff we have, allow them to spend more time where we really need kind of that manual intervention or that experienced human to kind of take a look um, at these accounts. So I think there's really some interesting uh, things coming down the pike. It might take another three to five years to really kind of flesh out and become a little more standard. Uh, but we're working with a few clients now that have been, want to be a little bit more on the cutting edge of that as, as, as we're working through kind of what it's really going to look like and how to integrate some of those opportunities into the revenue cycle teams. Rich, what yeah, else I, are you in the creation phase of? Um, similar, sort of like what Hank was saying, there are, I think there are some tools that are lacking that help the, the operations of Rev Integrity that I've been working on sort of some some ways to, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I think, Daniel, you asked about the low-hanging fruit was, you know, the integration with the clinical modules. And you may have the most beautiful charge master, but I said before, but if it's not integrated into the modules for charge triggering, then it's not really doing anything for you. Um, and you can, you know, run some pretty easy things looking at revenue and usage and saying what, what is kind of falling out immediately there. But we're sort of looking at a, a ways to, um, look at modules more holistically and say, you know, what is the relationship between these two? Because it doesn't sort of organically uh, live in a way that you can so easily pull it right out of Epic. So that's one of the areas that we're looking at. And then I'm also very interested in the relationship between PB and HB um, for episodes of care. It's another bellwether of where there may be issues. And so we've been working uh, with a team to try to finesse those comparisons. It's not, it's not, it's not one for one. In other words, if, if there's a code here on PV and not here, that, that means that's wrong. So that's where the complexity comes in. Um, but yeah, those are all areas and, and as well as just sort of streamlining and, and making uh, charging practices across a system um, standardized and, and helping people do that. It's not always popular, but it's everybody's happy once they get there in the end. <laughs> I want to say thanks for joining us, uh, Gretchen, Hank. I know I watched Jerry Maguire before today's uh, podcast, just as like a show me the money uh, little uh, motif. And so just uh, for season two, wrapping up here, billing versus RI, finding the money. Um, I thought this was really good. And so, you know, if you're a listener and you're um, interested in this, maybe you're doing something similar and want a partner, let us know. Maybe you're not doing something, just want someone to help spearhead it as well let us know. We're happy to listen. I think Gretchen probably goes to sleep dreaming about this stuff. Um, so you, you know that uh, this is something that I think we're all passionate about here at the Wilshire Group. Uh, so shameless time. plug. Not the first time I've been uh, called a geek. Um, I will also say that I will be at the NARI conference in September in North Carolina. So if anybody listening is going to be there, please uh, come by and say hello. I'd love to meet.
Well, that's one way that listeners can reach out to you all. Is there any other ways that uh, best way just through the website, email, LinkedIn, how should folks reach out to you? We answer to all the above. Yeah, you can get both of us uh, Yeah, through the website, LinkedIn, email, cell phone, whatever works. Silophore. <laughs> Home visit, yeah. <laughs> Smoke signals. <laughs> you can all try right. it. It's tricky. All right. Well, that's it for us today, everybody. Um, we'll... See you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks, Evan. Thanks, Daniel. Bye. If you liked today's episode, continue to join Wilshire Wednesdays. You can follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Evan underscore Wilshire. Daniel can be followed at Daniel underscore TWG. Wilshire Group at TWG Health. On Facebook at the Wilshire Group. Or on Instagram at Wilshire IT Revcast. Remember, if you prefer to watch, come check us out at the Wilshire IT Revcast YouTube channel. If you have an inquiry, want to share your thoughts, or get additional information on today's episode, email us at Wilshire Podcast at the Wilshire Group. The best way to support this podcast is to review, rate, and subscribe. See you next time. Bye-bye. The Wilshire IT Revcast is hosted, produced, and engineered by Evan Martin and Daniel Bianchini. It is executive produced by Gretchen Case, Hank Smither, and Spencer Thielman. The Wilshire Group, experience you can trust, results you can count on.